Coming up on this week's show, we've got two special guests. Jesse Lee Ryan talks about her book, Surreal Estate, and we catch up with filmmaker Charlie David about his just-released documentary on the gay romance industry. This is the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction. Each week, we bring you exclusive author interviews, book recommendations, and explore the latest in gay pop culture. Welcome to episode 242 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Jeff from jeffadamswrites.com, and with me, as always, is my co-host and husband, Will Knaus. Hello, everyone. This episode of the podcast is brought to you in part by our remarkable community on Patreon. We'll have more information on how you can join the community at the end of the show, along with a sneak peek of what we've got coming up for you next week. Welcome back, everyone. We are so glad that you could join us today. We've got some wonderful interviews with some remarkable people. I can't wait to get to those. But first, if you live here in the States, this past weekend was, of course, Memorial Day. We hope you had a safe, sane, and pleasant three-day weekend. Also, a quick reminder, our book club episode featuring our discussion of Claire London's Romancing the Rough Diamond, that comes out tomorrow, May 26th. So happy we're going to share our thoughts on that wonderful book with everyone. If you haven't read it yet, give it a read before you pick up the book club episode, because we are spoilerific in that. So yeah, give that a listen starting tomorrow. Now, last week, we teased you that we were going to have a month full of special Pride Month programming. And we also promised that we'd tell you more about that this week. So I'm really excited to share with you everything we've got coming up for you in June. We have never been this ambitious with the podcast before. In addition to the five regular episodes we have, as well as the book club episode that would happen at the end of the month, we're doing 15 additional episodes. So you're going to get 21 episodes of the Big Gay Fiction podcast coming to you in June. I've been really excited as I've recorded and produced this stuff, and I have to give full credit to Will because this whole thing was really an idea that he hatched back in middle April when it became pretty clear that Pride celebrations were not going to be able to happen in in the way that they usually do. And really kudos to everybody who, when we asked if they'd come be a part of this, said yes. It's been really remarkable putting this together. So what have we got for you? Of course, this all kicks off next week on Monday, June 1st. Philip William Stover is going to be here talking about The Hideaway Inn, which is the first book in the Karina Adores uh, LGBTQ romance line too. So it's really awesome that he's here for that. And I got to tell you, he kicks us off with a really great reading too of a passage out of that book. And then looking at the rest of our regular Monday episodes, on June 8th, we're joined by author Alex Sanchez and illustrator Julie Morrow to talk about the graphic novel, You Brought Me the Ocean, which is from DC Comics and is a coming of age, coming out story for Aqualad. June 15th, Daryl Banner is going to be here talking about Lover's Flood and the forthcoming Connor, which is the second part of his Toys and Boys series. On June 22nd, we've got Jay from Joyfully Jay and Lisa from The Novel Approach. We're not only going to do some book recs for you, but they're going to share some meaningful books for Pride Month as well. June 29th brings Lauren Shippen, who is the author of The Infinite Noise, which I just reviewed a couple weeks back. And she's going to be sharing a little bit from the audiobook of that uh, for us. And of course, our regular episodes cap off with the book club on June 30th, and that book we'll actually be revealing next week. Now, for those bonus episodes that we talked about, we've got authors sharing some readings, and through the month, you're going to be hearing from Adriana Herrera, 
T.J. Clune, Jane Northcote, Rick R. Reed, Julia Talbot, and B.A. Tortuga join in one segment, Sylvia Violet, Max Walker, and Julian Winters. We're going to have narrators Kurt Graves and Joel Leslie here sharing excerpts from their audiobooks. Plus, we're going to have some guests from our extended podcast family. So we've got Slade James from GayRomance.show. We've got Marky and Jess from Top to Bottom. And we also have Sarah Wendell from Smart Podcast Trashy Books. They're all going to be here sharing books that are meaningful to them for Pride Month. And I'll tease here that Sarah also has a special guest with her, and you're not going to want to miss that. All of our guests throughout the month are going to be sharing what Pride means to them. And some of these stories, I have to tell you, are just beautiful and moving, and you're not going to want to miss them. The bonus episodes start on Wednesday, June 3rd, and from there, they're going to be running Tuesday, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays through June 26th. And another tease about the bonuses, they're going to kick off on June 3rd with TJ Clune, and he's got something extraordinary for us. And yeah, that pun was pretty much very intentional there. You'll be able to keep up with all the Pride Month programming wherever you listen to podcasts and at biggayfictionpodcast.com slash pride2020. In the hockey player's heart, the feel-good gay romance by Jeff Adams and Will Knauss, hockey star Caleb Carter returns to his hometown to recover from an injury. He never expects to run into his one-time crush at a great school fundraiser. Seeing Aaron Price hits him hard, like being checked into the boards. The attraction is still there, even after all these years, and Caleb decides to make a play for the school teacher. You miss 100% of the shots you never take, right? Aaron has been burned by love before, and can't imagine what a celebrity like Caleb could possibly see in a guy like him. Their differences are just too great. But as Aaron spends more time with Caleb, he begins to wonder if he might have what it takes to win the hockey player's heart. Get the hockey player's heart at Amazon.com. So let's take a trip in the Wayback Machine. You might remember that last October, we had a special live episode with creative multi-hyphenate Charlie David. He acts, he produces, he writes, he does it all. And we spoke to him at the beginning of GRL about the documentary that he was there making. And now, seven months later, that documentary has arrived. It's called What Women Want, Gay Romance. And it focuses on gay romlet as an event, as well as the genre of gay romance itself. And it does so in this, I'm just going to call it beautiful. It's a beautiful 48-minute package. It has the joy that is being at gay romlet and being around authors and readers who all share the passion for this genre. And it also really captures wonderful individual stories from some authors, some narrators, some bloggers. It just makes me so happy to see this show. It was almost like being back there and being kind of in that warm bubble that you get into when you're actually at the event around all these wonderful people. For all of the hours of footage I'm sure that Charlie came away with, he really distilled it down into a wonderful chronicle of this event and this genre that I I think people who love to read these books are going to love this documentary, but I think it could also be a a, a great gateway for people who are like, I don't understand this genre, let me understand a little more about it. 
Some of the people featured in the documentary were Carol Lynn. She's the author and co-organizer of GRL, and she spoke very candidly about how the genre helped give her a creative outlet and escape a difficult relationship. Also featured were Daryl Banner and Felice Stevens, Spencer Spears, and one of the frequent guests we have here on the show, Jay from Joyfully Jay, also talked about what the genre is and what it's about and why people love it so very much. A couple of the things that also really impacted me with this show, hearing Sam York's story was really incredible and powerful and how his transition from Sarah York to Sam York was really great to hear. Narrator Kenneth Obi spoke about how he came into the genre with his first gay romance book and also really taught, had a, had some great moments with his son about how him doing these audiobooks had really helped their relationship grow as well. The discussion between him and his son that's featured in the documentary was quite wonderful. It was really good that Charlie was at GRL last year because it captured uh, some of the tributes to Ethan Day, who is the other co-founder of GRL with Carol. He, of course, passed away after GRL 2018, and it was great to have this documentary capture some of Ethan's legacy as well as the tribute to him. Now, earlier this week, right after the documentary premiered, I got to catch up with Charlie a little bit and really hear what it was like putting this work together after having so many hours of footage uh, that he recorded in Albuquerque. So let's go hear what Charlie has to say. Charlie, welcome back to the podcast. It's good to have you here. Thank you so much, Jeff. I always love seeing your face and catching up. <laughs> we have such a joyous thing to talk about on this particular occasion because the documentary that you shot at Gay Romlet last year just got released for everyone to see. I have to say, we loved it. It brought such happy joy that you captured the event and the genre in such a beautiful way. What was it like to you from going from being at the event to having this finished film? Well, I think, you know, that word joy really encapsulates it. And we can't help but reflect what is already there when we bring cameras into a space, right? We are just the mirrors to what is present. And so that's not something that, you know, I can create as a documentarian. It's it's just the people that are there and the the joy that that they are holding in being in each other's presence. And I feel like it's so evident at something like gay rom lit. You know, many of these people, you know, spend a lot of their money and they're taking vacation time and stuff to sometimes, you know, stepping away from family and work and other commitments to come to this event once a year and and come year after year. So I think that's a real testament to the the organizers and what an awesome gathering of like-minded people that it is. Well, we spoke in Albuquerque, you had barely shot any film. You were starting to gather the very first pieces of it. You weren't sure what your story was going to be when we spoke. Mm -hmm. What do you think the story turned into? That's such a, a great question because it is very much exactly where I was. Coming into this, I just had the question that I think 
a large audience outside of this space would have, right? And that is, why is this genre predominantly populated by readers, writers, publishers, you know, consumers of gay fiction that happen to be female bodied, you know? And, and I think for, for people outside of our community, that can be a big question mark, like kind of like a huh moment. And, and so in this time of, you know, a lot of conversation around things like own voices, the importance that, you know, people are telling stories uh, that they have experience in, I thought it would be interesting to go in and search this out. And I think what I thought that I would come into contact with a more more divisive voices about that. And it really wasn't. I really had my eyes opened even wider, my heart opened, you know, in a big way to to just see the love, the passion, the commitment to the craft of of writing and storytelling that, you know, uh, that this community has, and that there was definitely never any malicious intent or or feeling of, you know, taking over, taking away somebody else's lunch, as it were, is not what's happening. And, and I think that that just felt really good for me as somebody who's involved in this community to also meet more people and have that really reinforced. Was there anything in all the stories that you heard and whether they were in the documentary or not, because you certainly talked to a lot of people that weekend that surprised you or was like, hey, wow, that's cool. Absolutely. And I think, you know, we chatted about that kind of before I started shooting, as it were. And while we were in Albuquerque uh, together, the fact that, you know, for a one hour doc, I'll often film 20, 25, sometimes up to 40 hours of, of interviews and footage and stuff. And then the big challenge is like, whittling that down and finding the narrative within it, you know, what turns into be 45 minutes for a TV hour once you've put the commercial space in. And so there was also, like you said, some awesome conversations that that we did together with like B.A. Tortuga and Julia and, and other people that I was so immersed in in the moment and then trying to find a way to wedge it into the final was really challenging. But I think, yeah, like a story like theirs, which I view as a real it's a love story. It's this mm -hmm. beautiful, beautiful love story of these two women who met through romance writing and and now share their life together and, and continue to do that. You know, I found in to be incredibly moving. Or, you know, someone like Carol Lynn, who's one of the organizers, and like she has such such a moving narrative to me about how this genre and writing for this genre really allowed her to get out of a, you know, uh, a relationship, a marriage that was was not a healthy or healthful place for her and to get to a place where she was standing on her own and and created a, a career for herself out of something that she loves. And those are just like, you know, two quick examples. Another one would be Sam York, you know, who is in this precarious position of 
you know, still writing as Sarah York part of the time because that's the audience that he's cultivated. And yet, you know, Sam has transitioned. And so f in the space of own voices, another really interesting person to talk to, right, about, you know, writing gay romance as a trans man who is still, you know, married to his partner, you know, who, who through that whole journey didn't question, didn't like walk away as, you know, when as a wife, Sarah decided to write gay romance and then through the transition and, you know, as, as Sam is, is continuing. So I think there was, there was lots of wonderful, beautiful, heart clenching moments for me of, of discovery and, and story sharing. Mm -hmm. It was interesting to me that the the subject that you picked for the documentary could almost all have been a documentary in and of themselves. I don't envy your task of having to <laughs> put all of it together into one package. <laughs> Absolutely. That's the thing. You know, like Daryl Banner and his mom, Sue, like that's another super cool story of this, you know, young gay guy who writes gay romance and his mom is his not only like you know champion but really best friend like they that that friendship is so evident when you hang out with them and chat with them i mean sue you know is an editor on on all of daryl's work you know he, she proofreads everything because she was an avid romance reader before and I just think what a cool relationship that is, because as we know, sometimes romance takes a turn into some pretty erotic chapters. <laughs> so the thought of having your mom, you know, read and correct or, you know, is, is pretty wild to me. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, the, I, I can't imagine <laughs> doing that myself. <laughs> I know the documentaries just barely come out. Have you had reaction back? You know, uh, we're starting to see some reviews popping up on Amazon and on Vimeo, and we'll be doing a rollout onto more platforms in the coming month as well. But so far, they've been really positive. And what's also nice to see is, you know, it's also coming from people who haven't been to a gay romlet yet. And they're looking and going, oh my gosh, what what an exciting, safe joyful place right and they're looking and and you know fingers crossed that we'll be able to attend one in the future and i feel like that's that's such a cool thing because it's it's allowing people to potentially find their tribe right and find it in in a way that's also moving from online to into real life because there were so many people that i met while in albuquerque that that just reiterated again and again how those friendships were so important in their lives, that this was something that they looked forward to all year, to reconnecting and to share the joy of reading that they may not be able to share with other people in their life. You know, mm -hmm. for, for I think many of them, it's almost like reading gay romance might be something that they're doing in the closet, as it were. And, and this this event allows them to to be themselves to come out and to to share that joy of of this genre mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so so well said. So glad that you undertook this. I was excited last fall when I knew you were doing it and having seen the the finished product. It's just wonderful that it's out there. Yeah, thank you. I'm super excited too. It's so it's really fun to you know to share work like this because it's like a it's like an author writing a book. It's something that you craft a lot on your own, you know, beyond when the cameras are rolling. You go and you spend a lot of time, you know, in the edit and finding those stories. And and it is, you know, very much a, a small team effort at that point that often takes months, you know. And and so getting it to the point where it's ready to share is is wonderful. Mm-hmm. The other thing we talked about while you were in Albuquerque was you were just getting ready to start production on, on a show called Avocado Toast. Yeah. which has also just dropped. Remind everybody what that's about. Avocado Toast, the series, is about millennials and their baby boomer parents and kind of navigating the conversations around sex and relationships. And to me, I'm so excited about it because, number one, we're highlighting women's stories in their 50s into early 60s and showing them in a way that like, you know, these moms still have active relationship, full hearted stories, sex lives. And sometimes I think women, you know, beyond a certain age really get relegated to kind of like grandma role, you know, in, in film and television. And, and I want to celebrate, you know, women who are 50, 60 and, and beyond. And, and you know, shine a light on on their very rich stories. And then the other end of the spectrum is their millennial children and what they're going through. And the one of the main storylines there is one of the women coming out as bisexual. And so I think with this series, we're really trying to focus on putting the B back in LGBT because I feel like it is, again, an area of media where there's not a lot of content because for a long time that B has really been dismissed as a non-sexuality that it's like, well, you just haven't figured it out yet. You know, you're, you're on the train from straight to gay and you just haven't like fully committed or whatever. And, and so tackling something that, that is careful not to, to have by erasure, you know, to, mm-hmm. to really acknowledge that, was important and I think I'm really proud of it I think it's it's hilarious and heartwarming there's lots of you know really beautiful moments and it's bite-sized it's 10 episodes of 10 to 15 minutes so lots of people have been binging it and we we just launched on Monday on Amazon Prime and Vimeo and Telefilms and Highball and and more and more platforms to come so yeah it's been it's been Nice to be able to to share work at this time. And comedy. I think everybody needs some good comedy these days. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, a little bit of escapism is great. Well, I appreciate you so much coming by and talking to us about these two projects. Congratulations on them both. Remind people really quickly where they can keep track of you online so they can find new projects as they come to light. Yeah, on Facebook, Charlie David, on Twitter, Charlie David, Instagram, Mr. Charlie David, and then uh, my website is charliedavid.com, 
and Avocado Toast the Series has a website too, and that's avocadotoasttheseries.com. Fantastic. Well, thank you again for spending a few minutes, and I hope these projects find their audiences far and wide. Oh, thank you so much, Jeff. Really appreciate the the time to come on and, and catch up and chat about these. And thanks again to Charlie for taking a few minutes this week to talk about this wonderful documentary. Got links in the show notes to What Women Want, Gay Romance, so you can find it on Amazon and Vimeo, as well as to the Avocado Toast uh, website and its link on Amazon Prime as well. Hey, everyone. It's Becky Feldman here, and I am too stupid to live. And do you want to hear something crazy? I also host a comedy podcast called Too Stupid to Live. How did that happen? I have no idea. Um, anyway, on Too Stupid to Live, I am joined by some hilarious guests where we review romance novels $5 and under. And we have covered the gamut of romantic fiction, from historical romances to dinosaur erotica. Which, you know what, now that, now that I think about it, I think that's like also a historical romance. Um, anyway, each episode, we go on this engaging journey. Um, I've had Sarah McLean, the fabulous author, talking about the power of romance to Nick Weiger of the Doughboys podcast, reading a sexy excerpt in the voice of Elizabeth Holmes. That one still gives me very sexy nightmares, but I just can't get enough. Um, So Tia's Tale puts out two episodes a month, and you can find it wherever you get your podcasts. So I recently got to speak with author Jessie Lee Ryan. Uh, A few episodes back, I reviewed her book, Surreal Estate, and totally fell in love with those characters. And I really enjoyed catching up with her about her M.M. romances, her writing career, and some of the stuff that's coming up next for her as well. So let's get to that. Jesse, welcome to the podcast. We're so happy to have you here. Thanks for having me. I have read a couple of your books over the last months since Love Magic first came out in the Bad Valentine series, but much more recently, Surreal Estate. And I loved that book so much. And I really wanted to get you here to talk to us about it because... You've got that and Love Magic, both recently on audio this year. Tell us a little bit about Surreal Estate, what it's about, and and how you came up with this wonderful story. So I have um, like a low writers group we're meeting pretty regularly. And sometimes as any conversation with writers go, we just start like talking, brainstorming weird stuff. And so we started this conversation about bullshit superpowers, like, <laughs> like, like superpowers, like if you had, that would be like sort of useless, like the talent of always having ink in your pen, you know, like things that like, oh, wow, I have a superpower, but what do I do with it? And so the idea came to me is what if I was a psychic with an affinity for houses, but I'm homeless, you know, so was sort of like that irony kind of thing and then we were like just shouting ideas out about it and I'm like and and what if you fell in love with a house flipper you know and I don't know it was just it was kind of like a comedic sort of feel but when I went home and started actually writing it it did not come out as a comedy at all that's not how the character spoke to me at all so yeah that's where it originally came from so The story is about a young man who is down on his luck and he's homeless and 
he has an affinity for spaces. So if you think of that saying, if these walls could talk, it's that sort of emotions that people um, have inside of a room imprint on the space itself. And so that's kind of where the idea came from. And so this young man, Sasha, is able to go into homes usually, it's more more common with homes, and maybe see visions of the past or or feel feelings that, that are in those spaces. So he is squatting in an old abandoned house when it is purchased on a foreclosure sale by a house flipper who is Nick. So that's how Sasha and Nick get together. And there's such a delightful pair. I mean, one of the things that I liked right away about Nick is that he didn't just throw Sasha out. He thought about it, but, you know, then he didn't. Mm -hmm. And it's just, there's such a sweet kindness that runs between these two. What I wanted to bring across there is that at different parts of our lives, we can be down on our luck. And sometimes it just takes a little kindness from somebody else to get us back on our feet. I grew up in a pretty poor family. We weren't homeless by any means. We always, you know, my mom did her best to take care of us and stuff. But we were we were pretty poor. And, you know, I have a soft spot for people who are in rough situations. And so the character that I relate to most in this is Nick. And I would like to think that I would have, like, I in good conscience couldn't have put Sasha out right away. You know what I mean? Like, I would have, that would have been me. That would have been me trying to figure out, okay, how do I help this person? And I also didn't want there to be a power dynamic between somebody with a bunch of money who's sweeping in to make Sasha's life better or whatever. I needed Nick to have a financially insecure situation also. And, and he certainly did. Yeah. <laughs> Even have the mob kind of funding his flip, you know, just threw another interesting layer on top of the story. Mm -hmm. You added a, some interesting stuff into Nick's character as well, because he really discovers his bisexuality in this story. Yeah, you know, Nick is 39, and it was important to me to show a character who is having, like, a bisexual awakening for the first time at an older age. And because, for me, sexuality is something that is fluid. It can, you know, it can grow and change. I know certainly for me, that's been my case. I'm 44 years old. And I've always been in relationships with cis men. But two years ago, my husband came out to me as trans. So now I have a wife. And, you know, when someone transitions, it doesn't, it doesn't change your sexuality just because your spouse transitioned. You have to sort of come to terms with, with how your sexual attraction is not everybody can make a marriage work when there's a transition involved, but I've always sort of had bisexual tendencies, if, even from a young age, but I guess I sort of thought if I was always with men, it didn't matter. Like, like 
I didn't want to come out as bisexual. It felt inauthentic to come out as bisexual when I had never been with a woman before. That makes sense. Like, like I'm going to lose my card or something. <laughs> and I know it's my own hanging up. But with my wife transitioning, and she is very much a girly girl in every way, that I've had to come to terms with, with what my attractions are. So I do consider myself pansexual now. And, and I would have been about 42 when that happened. So, so I relate to Nick a lot in that way. And it was important for me to show that it wasn't out of the blue. This wasn't like a, I'm only digging one person kind of thing. I, I made sure to show that he'd always sort of had bisexual tendencies, though just in his head. And I also wanted to tell a story where somebody came out that was positive. Nick wasn't ashamed of it. His family was supportive. It just felt good to tell that kind of story. In a, in a story that's so heavy like surreal estate is, to have that one element go very smoothly was important to me. Mm -hmm. I really liked how you treated it as not gay for you, as you mentioned, because that is not my favorite trope out there in the world. You did give Nick those, I won't say tough internal conversations, but he did work his way through it and he did come out to his family and he was he was a little skittish about that. So it, it all played very real world to me and you didn't gloss it over, which I thought was quite wonderful. Yeah, that was my goal. I mean, yes, it is nerve wracking. The first time I told my mother that, that my, you know, spouse who I had been married to for 16 years at that point was now transitioning to be female. And I am perfectly cool with that because I'm pansexual too, you know, so that, that was a hard conversation, even though I was like, you know, well into adulthood. So, but it was fine. Did you set up Nick this way because of what you were going through at the time? Or did these two things just kind of happen to connect at the right moment? You know, out of all the characters, I relate the most to Nick. Nick is my personality. I'm impulsive and a risk taker. And, you know, a lot of things about Nick reminds me of myself. And so I did purposely write Nick to have like a bisexual awakening because I just thought it was important to show that that doesn't mean I'm going to do it in all of my books or anything like that all the stuff that you did with with the house flip and even how the houses spoke to Sasha did you set up your own magic because it was really a fascinating aspect of the book how the houses spoke to him I have a young adult series that I wrote the Arcadia series and I and that was a, a series that revolved around psychics. So I've already, I've sort of been in like a psychic mind frame for probably 10 years now. So for me, I mean, this was the first time I wrote somebody with this type of talent, but this was kind of my, it was my own invention, but I do have a thing about visiting psychics, which is, well, I mean, I'm pretty agnostic in just about every way. I'm sort of like, you know, I don't really believe, I don't think this is a real thing, but maybe it is, maybe it is. And so 
I'm known to visit lots of psychics. I've had past life regression. I've had, you know, tarot, numerology, astrology. I've done, I've done all of that. And, you know, most of my experiences have been laughably bad. I have not found very many psychics that had much of a talent at all, but there was one that I 100% believe that he knew things. And his name was Paul. I don't know his last name. I can't remember it anymore. I had his business card at one time, but he had given a reading to my mother. I dragged her along to a psychic fair, which is a thing I do. And (laughs) And so she got a a reading from this guy and it was so scary spot on. It was just shocking. The level of detail he got into was just shocking. So the next time the psychic fair came in town, I made sure to go see him specifically. And he, again, gave me a really phenomenal reading. So I don't know. Our are psychics real? I have no idea. But this guy seemed really, really know what he's doing. That's very cool. I mean, you've got some of the in-person interaction to kind of feed the books a little bit. And I love kind of what you did with the house, too, because the house, the houses actually occasionally push back on Nick. So there's a little bit of life in the house. And that's that was very interesting to see how all that played into the story. Yeah, I wanted to, I, I tried to walk a line between the house, the house is sentient, but it, it doesn't like have a, it doesn't talk to him. It, do, it doesn't like, he can't have conversations with the house necessarily. The house is a character in the book in mm-hmm. a way. Yeah. Definitely. So another one of your stories that is on its way to audio might be out by the time we, we get this on the air is love magic which was your entry in the bad valentine set and again we deal with a little bit of paranormal magic things going on in this story tell us about this this was such a super cute entry in that series so jordan castillo price dev bentham and claire london and i um thought it would be fun to take a one line we have the same first line nothing good ever came of a valentine and write a story based on that just like see where it would take us and the only rule we had is that it had to be a short so the audiobook for love magic is only an hour long so it's just it's a short it's a short story so it had to be a short short installment and it had to involve paranormal somehow so that was the only thing that we had and so the four of us just started going on this Valentine story and so that was really fun so love magic is about a musician who is performing in a park one day and this magician comes over and starts performing with him and it's a love story between him and this magician and and it's kind of like every date that go on is a disaster so I don't really want to talk too much about it. It is a short story, so it's hard to talk about without giving spoilers away. For sure. Um, yeah, so I don't know when it's actually, it could release any time. It's been um, sitting in review for a long, long time. But hopefully it comes out, you know, very shortly. 
This was so cute, especially their disasters. And you like magic paranormal a lot in your storytelling because, of course, Arcadia was also dealt in some of these same themes. What is it about that that attracts you to using it in your stories? So, you know, I like paranormal. I, I like to read it. I, it's not all I read, but but I, I like it. And I like the way you can break boundaries with it. But as much as I like to read about vampires and things like that, I mean, you know, we all know vampires aren't real and werewolves aren't real and stuff like that. But, like, there's this thing with psychics, like, yeah, it's not real, but maybe it is. Maybe, you know? And so I like, I always try to write my psychics in a way that it could be real, that it there's a scientific explanation for it. Like, you guys don't know this because I didn't put it on the page, but I have a reason for all of this, you know, in the back of my mind of how this all fits and how it works logically. So, and for me, it's genetic. But I like the idea of psychics because you can do a lot of different stuff, like the talking to houses. You can pretty much do anything with a psychic power. And like in Love Magic, my magician is a telekinetic. So, yeah, I'm just attracted to psychics because there's so many different things. I feel like if you're writing like vampires, there's like rules you have to follow and if you don't follow those rules, like you suffer from vampire fans everywhere. And I don't want to, I don't want to deal with vampire politics in my real life. <laughs> I totally understand. <laughs> and that was what I like so much about surreal estate. I mean, you built these guys to be so in the real world with Sasha just having this little tweak. I told you before we pushed the record button, I want to give them an HGTV show because I would totally watch that. Them oh, yeah. flipping houses and Sasha being able to sort out what's wrong with the house or even if it's not flip, I mean, go in and redecorate and then help them figure out how to make the house happier with the people who are in it. There's so many options there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do we get to see the, any of these characters come back in future stories? Do you see additional things in the surreal estate world? So here's the thing. I was about halfway through writing the follow-up to Surreal Estate, which was going to be another story with a different couple, but Sasha and Nick were characters in it. And I got about halfway through it and I hated it. Mm. Um, as I mean, that's common. That happens It happens. It, the halfway hate point. I always get to that. But I had another story idea that was really hitting me hard in my head and I couldn't shake it. And so while I'm struggling to write this follow-up book to Surreal Estate, this other idea just won't go away. So finally I just decided, you know, I'm gonna set this book aside and write this other story. Even though it's completely not what I should be working on, it, it obviously wants to be told now. And it's very different from anything I've ever written. In fact, I might even put it out under a different pen name because there's no paranormal in it at all. Oh, wow. I'm deciding about that. I don't like the idea of a new pen name, but I, it's a, a really deeply personal story to me. And, you know, I'm probably about three quarters of the way through writing it now. So I don't know when it's going to be finished. 
I, I don't work well with deadlines. I'm a slow writer. So we'll see. We'll see. But I do have a plan for the surreal estate universe. I planned three books. Cool. So we'll see if they come out. Okay. And, and now you've got me super intrigued for this other thing that's not paranormal at all. <laughs> so besides the the magic paranormal kind of playing into your stories, do you have favorite tropes that you're attracted to working with? I have tropes that I hate. I don't like tropes with a big imbalance of power. So you won't see me writing billionaires who are scooping up their, like, just graduated college people and, you know, something like that. Or, like, I don't mind an office romance, but is it, but, like, it has to be done really, really delicately for it to be something that I like. So I would never write it. So I don't like power imbalances. I don't like billionaires because... I feel like when your characters have too many resources, you're taking the tension out of the story. I like to write people who are broke. I relate to being broke. So I like to see stuff like that. I like to see people who are good communicators. So the misunderstanding trope, I, I'm not into that at all. Nothing will make me put down a book faster than the like this whole plot could be wrapped up with a phone call. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so those are the plots I really avoid, or the tropes I really avoid. It was really important for me to write a bisexual awakening story for Surreal Estate and for Nick because it was very personal to me, but I probably won't do that again. It's not going to be like my signature that's in all of my books. I like that you went with the flip of that question. I may have to ask actually ask the that, that side of it more often. <laughs> I get way more irritated with books than, yeah. <laughs> well, and according to your bio, you read like 200 books a year, which is a big wow. Because <laughs> uh, I'm lucky to get through like 70 or so. <laughs> I have an illness. I'm a book hoarder. I own, I think, or in the neighborhood of 3,000 paper books. I probably have that on my Kindle. And I think 2,000 audios. So I, I'm a hoarder of books. I never borrow a book from somebody because it won't leave my house again. And I pretty much read everything. So I go in stages where, like, like I'll be on a Russian novel phase and I'll read all the classic Russian novels. Or, or I'm in a paranormal phase or I'm in a sci-fi phase or whatever. So... I just read a lot and I, I like audiobooks and that helps me increase my mm-hmm. my book count because now not only am I reading after work, but I'm reading during work, which is always great. Yeah, audiobooks. Once I got really into them, it, it was such a, a godsend to get my overall reading way up by like double, mm-hmm. really, because I always have a, an audio and a e or a paperback going at the same time. Yeah, I usually have two audios going at the same time. I have I like to listen to nonfiction before bed. Um, I am I'm an insomniac, so I have like a whole I have a whole thing, a whole ritual around going to bed at night. I've got a couple of podcasts, the Sleep with Me podcast. This guy reads, or he doesn't read, he just rambles on. He tells these long, boring stories with no plot, 
So it's enough to keep your head listening. But like if you fall asleep, you're not going to miss anything. because There's no beginning, middle or end to these stories. So I like to listen to him. And and then I also like will listen to like different nonfiction books at night when I'm falling asleep. Just basically it can have a plot. And then and then I have something that I'm reading during the day that, you know, whatever it is, usually fiction. I'm more of a fiction person than a nonfiction. What got you started writing? Was it all the reading that you were doing <laughs> that got you going? Probably. I, I've always been a huge reader. My mother was a voracious reader also. So so I learned from the best. When I was eight, I wrote a story that was turned into a children's book. So like... I mean, it wasn't, it's not that impressive. There was only a couple of copies made, but like, because I did this book, I was in, it was like in local dentist offices and stuff for kids to read. I don't know. Because I did this, they sent me to this young writers conference. So I got to go to this like conference at the college. So I always thought writing was cool and it was, you know, but I actually through high school and stuff, I always assumed that I would go into music. I, I used to sing and I used to like theater and things like that. So I, I thought that was the direction I was going to go. But when I went to college, I ended up just really loving my writing classes. And so I ended up majoring in creative writing and literature. I was going to ask how you came to write MM Romance, too. So it's what I read. Like, I was on an MM kick on my reading. I... and. My best friend is a pretty popular MM writer, and she and I would, we would brainstorm a lot together. We do, we have like a local, we have like a Skype conversation like every month to sort of like brainstorm out our stories and stuff like that. And I was really struggling with a book that I hated, which happens sometimes, and and she just said, why don't you just write MM? Because that's what you read. It's what you like. And, and yeah, okay, I'll give it a shot. And so that's when I wrote Surreal Estate. So That's awesome. Any particular authors influence your author career and have helped you power forward as you've gotten going in the genre? Jordan Castillo Price is my friend and I am completely in awe of her writing. I I love everything that she's written. I started as a fan when I met, and we lived locally to each other, so we got to be friends. But her books just speak to me. I love her use of paranormal elements. I love her characterization. And she also hates the same tropes I do. So she doesn't use those tropes. So her characters are always broke. So I love that. And some other authors that I really, really enjoy in the MM world are Alice Winters. I I love her use of comedy. It's genius. It's genius. It's spot on. Tal Bauer is another one that I really love. Tal Bauer is an auto buy for me. His executive office series was just phenomenal. So I like Jordan for the paranormal. Alice for the comedy, and Tell for the explosions. Can you imagine, like, all three combined into one? 
Oh my gosh, that would be amazing. That would be amazing. Now you hinted at this uh, non-paranormal that you're working on. Is there anything else like floating around in your head that you want to tease us about? Well, the non-paranormal one that I'm writing right now is about a young man, just graduated high school, who was raised in a religious cult. And he is leaving the cult. Well, he's being escorted out of the cult, basically, because he's gay. It's a deeply personal thing for me because it was one that I was involved with, a cult that I was involved with in a former life a long time ago. And I finally feel like it is time for me to write that story. I feel separated enough from it that I've been out for 18 years. So I feel separated enough that now is the time to write that story. And it's going really well. I mean, it's flowing really well. I'm sort of at that point where I hate it, but I think I can push through. I don't have a title for it yet. This is the second one we've talked about that's got autobiographical elements as well. Has that always kind of been the case in your work where that sort of real life for you feeds in? Oh, yeah. Even with like, like Sasha's mother is a drug addict and my father is a drug addict. So... So I could relate to Sasha on that element, too. So, yeah, I, I would say a lot of the, especially the really emotional pieces of my books are stuff that I've experienced before or are related to me somehow. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to, you know, they always say in, like, writing class, which I don't agree with fully, but they always say, write what you know. Mm-hmm. And... For me, it's not write what you know, because I don't know any psychics that, you know, or vampires or whatever, but it's write what you can emotionally connect to. And I think if you can, as an author, can emotionally connect to the story that's being told, then it's going to come across as authentic. Well said. What is the best way for everyone to keep up with you online to see when these next books come out (laughs) and when Love Magic does come out? Yeah. I am on Twitter at Jesse Lee, all one word, and that's spelled J-E-S-I-L-E-A. And I am on Facebook, and I, I don't have a personal Facebook, so my Facebook is pretty much just me. So uh, you can look me up on there, and I'm on Instagram, although I have, like, very few followers, and all I do is post pictures of, like, my cat. But <laughs> you're welcome to follow me if you'd like. Fantastic. We will put links to all of that in the show notes along with the books that we talked about thank you so much for coming and talking to us about both surreal estate and love magic thank you this week's interview transcript has been brought to you by our community on patreon if you'd like to read the author interview for yourself simply head on over to the show notes page for this episode at biggayfictionpodcast.com and thanks again to Jesse for taking some time to talk to us. Really loved learning how much of Jesse's life gets into her characters, the good and the bad. I really thank her so much for sharing those stories with us. All right. I think that's going to do it for this week's show. Coming up next week in episode 243, Pride Month kicks off with Philip William Stover. And he's going to be here talking about The Hideaway Inn. This book is so good. It actually comes out this week. So you could just go to Amazon right now and pick it up and start reading it before we get to the interview next week. It is so wonderful. We'll also be doing a full review on it 
Uh, I'm really excited to bring the story of this book to everybody next week. Remember, no matter where life takes you, the journey will always be sweeter when you have a book. Until next time, everyone, please keep turning those pages and keep reading. Big Gay Fiction Podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. You can find more shows you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. New episodes of this show are available every Monday wherever you get your podcasts. You can help support this show with a monthly pledge through Patreon. For more information about joining our community and the bonus content we deliver, check out patreon.com slash biggayfictionpodcast. I'm Kurt Graves. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.